Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 this morning. That's Luke 2, 8 through 14. Uh, before I begin, just let me, let me just throw something out to you, uh, just as a deterrent, maybe it is. Uh, we've gathered on the Lord's Day. We've made a pretty big deal about, like, it's the Lord's Day before it's Christmas. It's been mentioned a few times. It's been mentioned in the prayer. If I could just encourage all of you, um, don't, let that, uh, get, don't let that truth give you some sense of self-righteousness here. Um, what does Jesus tell his disciples? After you've done everything you've been commanded to do, consider yourself to be unprofitable servants who have just done what you've been told. We're not doing anything special. We're not, we're not um, getting extra points with Christ today for meeting. No, we're doing just what he told us to do. So don't let this become a, a point of self-righteousness in your heart on the Lord's Day. I just wanted to throw that out there to you. We're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. No, no good on you. We're just doing the minimum that we should be doing by coming to church. But Luke 2, this morning we will be considering what many regard as the classic text concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in our text, we will hear the angelic announcement that was given to the shepherds on the night that Christ was born. And this morning, I simply want to announce to you the same good news that was announced that night. The good news of the birth of Jesus. No frills, no thrills, no gimmicks, no nothing. I, I want to declare nothing but that timeless good news of great joy. I want to declare nothing but that eternal gospel of God's grace to sinners. Th this is all that I want to tell you today. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So may God bless us this morning as we consider who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he has done, and that it was for all who will believe. And by God's grace, may we leave here singing with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our triune God, we thank you for this Lord's Day where we could gather together as your people to worship you, our great God. We have come to feed on Christ in your word. We've come to be instructed in your ways. We've come to hear your voice and be blessed by you. And so we ask that you would grant these things to us. Help us to clear away all that might distract us from hearing you today. Help us to forget what, what, whatever else may be lying ahead for the rest of the day, now we have come to hear a word from God. By your Spirit, grant that we would profit from the preached word. 
Grant that the word would be made effectual to our salvation by your mighty power. Have mercy on us today and show us our Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. Give us just a glimpse of him, for just a glimpse will change us. Glorify yourself in us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The shepherds who first received the message from the angel probably didn't understand the extent and fullness of the message. I don't believe they did. And I say that because nobody did until the resurrection of Jesus over 30 years later. It was then that his disciples started putting things together more deeply. So I don't believe that the shepherds understood everything that I'm going to tell you today. But we understand them. We understand more than the shepherds did anyway because we have more light than they did. We have the New Testament. right? We have the New Testament. So we, we will not limit ourselves to what the shepherds understood that night, but instead we'll read this text for all it's worth, recognizing our position, privileged position we have as believers living under the New Covenant who have the New Testament with us. So let's now consider what happened that night. The beginning of chapter 2 tells us about the birth of our Lord. He's been born of the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger in an animal room or a stable. Our Lord has been born to the lowliest of circumstances, to abject poverty. As the Apostle Paul tell the Corinthians, he was made poor for our sakes that we might become rich in him. He was made low. But then the scene changes from the lowly circumstance of the birth of Jesus to something high and grand and magnificent. Uh, to paraphrase Matthew Henry, as, as you consider the scene of Christ's birth in an animal stall to poor parents, you're tempted to say, can this be the Son of God? But then as you consider the announcement of his birth, you are brought to exclaim, this can be none other than the Son of God. For our God revealed something of the glory of Jesus Christ in the angelic announcement of his birth. In the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds outside, common men with a common job, probably not considered the best people in their society, considered pretty low class, um, we have later Jewish accounts, maybe not of this century, but later centuries that shepherds were looked down. They weren't considered honest or they were dishonest often, lowly, common people. And they're watching over their flocks as the night passed. They had no idea what was about to happen. No idea at all. They were about to become some of the most privileged men in the history of the world. For an angel was about to appear and tell them something that would change everything forever. Now we come to verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Now, I, I think that we like just read over this, like, oh, yeah, an angel appeared. Like, that's normal. Right? Like, we do that a little. That's the Bible, right? There are angels, and right? That's what we do whenever we read this because we've heard this account so many times. But this is absolutely huge. God has sent an angel. That is a messenger is what angel means. God has sent a heavenly messenger to these shepherds. And if we know something about our God, he doesn't do things for no reason. He doesn't send an, a, a messenger for no reason. 
In the scriptures, when an angel comes bearing a message for men, it is always a very weighty thing. So special revelation is about to be given. Divine revelation is about to be given through the mouth of the angel, and everyone should pay attention because God does not waste his breath. And the text tells us that as the angel appeared to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the Shekinah glory of God. This is God's glorious presence made manifest in the earth. And there's great light. God's brightness, His glory shines from heaven and lights up the sky in the night. It shone all around the shepherds. It, it, it covered them up. These are the greatest Christmas lights that ever were seen. Right? The sky lights up the night and the birth of our Lord Jesus. Or God's presence fills the skies is more accurate. His presence fills the skies. Again, God himself is behind the announcement of this angel. Now we read of the bright and glorious presence of God in the Old Testament. You'll remember God's presence filled the tabernacle at the end of Exodus. It was constructed. God's presence filled the temple. Or rather the tabernacle. Then you read about how God's presence filled the temple after it was completed. God's glory shining and filling a place means that God is present in a peculiar way. But catch this. The glory of the Lord had departed from Israel, had it not? Remember Ezekiel? The glory of the Lord had departed centuries ago. God had departed the temple. And his bright glory was never again seen in Israel until this night. Never again was his glory seen until this night. God has visited Israel once again. God has returned in the birth of this child. Something monumental is happening. The Lord Jesus has been born and the presence of God has come in more ways than one, as we shall see. And then the angel speaks to the shepherds. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The shepherds were terrified. You would be too. Give them a break. What does R.C. Sproul said? The King James says they were sore afraid. They were so afraid it hurt. <laughs> I thought that was clever. They were terrified. When God's presence is made manifest, sinners tremble in fear. When an angel comes and sinners are confronted with the holy, sinners fear. But the angel tells them, fear not. Why? Because the angel has come to preach good news to them. More literally, and I like this, the angel has come to evangelize them. He's come to evangelize them. He's come to declare the gospel to them. A message of good news. Now I must stop here and point something out or what follows for the rest of this sermon will not appear to us to be good news. I must stop. The gospel... The good news does not come to men in a vacuum. It does not come to men in a vacuum. It comes in a context. And the context of the good news is the bad news. If a doctor comes to you and says, Good news! We found a cure for your disease. And you do not know that you have a disease. It will not be good news, will it? Good news must come to you in a context. And again, the context of the good news is the bad news. And this is the bad news. We... Every one of us are hell-deserving sinners. Every one of us, young and old, male and female, 
all mankind are sinners. Each and every one of us from the time we were conceived have been sinners imputed with the guilt of our first father, Adam, from the garden. That child you hold in your arms, same thing for them. Every one of us, without exception. And each and every one of us, in the course of time, have grown to commit personal sins. We have all gone astray from God. We have turned every one of us to our own way. We have practiced open rebellion against God and our thoughts, words, and deeds. We have disobeyed his holy commandments. We know what is right and we know what is wrong. And we have gladly chosen the wrong and committed acts of wickedness. We have not loved the Lord. We have not honored our creator. We have loved other things instead of him. We have cherished created things over him. We have worshipped the creature rather than the creator. We have lived for ourselves, the creature, instead of living for the one who made us, sustains us, and owns us by right of creation. We have not given him the praise, obedience, and gratitude that he deserves and is owed to him. We are sinners. We are sinners. But he is not like us. He's not like us. He is God. He is the Holy One. He is good. He is the perfect hater of sin. He is the perfect judge of all men. And all sin is an offense against him. It is a transgression of his eternal and holy law. And therefore, those who sin, each one of us in this room, stand before God in our guilt. And God is faithful. He's faithful to deal out justice. What does he say all over the place in the Old Testament? I will by no means clear the guilty. I won't. I don't let stuff slide. He will not look the other way. He will not wink at our sin. He cannot and he will not, for he is holy. And this puts us in the worst situation that we could imagine. A reckoning with God is coming for each one of us. A reckoning with God. A day of judgment is coming where we will all have to give an account to him. And he will judge us in righteousness and perfect justice. And all sinners, every one of us, deserve to be condemned to eternal hell for our sin. We have sinned against an infinitely good, infinitely pure, infinitely innocent, infinitely kind, infinitely holy God. And so what do we deserve? An infinite punishment. Our crimes, our sins against God are the worst things. And so they deserve the worst punishment and God is faithful to judge justly for he will not deny himself this is the bad news for sinners we are evil and God is just therefore we are hellbound unless God himself the one that we have offended and sinned against does something for us to change our situation that is the bad news. But the angel did not come to announce the damnation of men. He has come with good news. He's come with good news. 
News intended to make sinners rejoice, right? He's come with good news of great joy. For those who receive it with faith, good news that brings great joy. And he says that this good news is for all the people. All the people. Now, real quick, that phrase, the people, in the original language is most likely a technical term for the people of Israel. It's how Luke uses it the vast majority of the time. So this good news to sinners is for the Jews, God's old covenant people. The old covenant was still in effect at this time, so this makes sense. God's promises and his acts were first and foremost to the Jewish people with whom he had made a covenant. So it makes sense that the good news is for them. But, praise God, we know from the rest of Scripture that the good news the angel proclaimed the gospel was not only for the Jews. Praise God. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here this morning. It was for the world. Think of what righteous Simeon says in this same chapter, verses 30 through 32. He's holding the infant Christ. And he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. The child who was born brings light and good news to both the Jew and the Gentile. And this actually reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the book of Isaiah. God says this of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I like that. It is too light. It's too small of a thing that Jesus would come just for the tribes of Israel. No, God has something much greater in mind. The nations. The world. This is good news. And it was first to the Jews for sure. But this good news is for the world. As the hymn says, joy to the world. Good news of great joy has come for sinners, both Jew and Gentile, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. This message of the angel concerns every one of us. So hear me. Are you a sinner? I'll answer it for you. Yes, you are. So this message is for you. And you should listen. Now what is this message? What is this message that's intended to produce joy? What is the gospel that the angel has come to announce to the shepherds that night? It's in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gospel has just been declared. The gospel has just been declared. For those who understand the depth and goodness and richness of this one sentence, you know that this is the gospel. This is the gospel. It is music to our ears. So let's break down this announcement phrase by phrase. And in doing so, let us hear the gospel of God once again. First, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Did you catch that? Right off the bat. For unto you. For you. For you. For us. Unto you. Unto us. I'm going to belabor the point for a minute. Bear with me. Something has happened for us. Something has been done for us. Something has happened for our sakes, and we will be the ones who benefit from it. God has done something for us, and it centers upon the child who was born that night. The Lord Jesus was born for us. I can't help but to think that the angel has Isaiah 9 in mind. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. 
Now, we've already established in the bad news that we are damned unless God does something for us. And here, we are told that for us, unto us, a child has been born. Oh, hear that. God must do something for us, lest we perish eternally. And here the angel tells us that a child has been born for us. God has sent this child to do something for us that will change our miserable and desperate state. God has sent a son, even his son, into the world to do something for us. Oh, please hear me. Each and every one of us, every single sinner, needs this child who was born. Each one of us needs this son who was given by God for us. Apart from him, we have no hope. But in him, we have hope even though we've sinned against God, for he has been born for us. But what is it about this child that benefits us? What is it about this child that makes him born for us? Well, the angel tells us that the child is a savior. Hear that. A savior has been born. The child is the savior. And we have already established, have we not, that we need saving. We need rescuing. We need delivered. From what? From the wrath of God. From the wrath of God. From our sins from the just penalty that we deserve from a holy God. We need someone to save us from the righteous wrath and judgment that stands against us because of our sin. We need a Savior. And here the angel tells us that God has sent us a Savior. The child has been born unto you, and he is a Savior. Do you hear that? Are, are, you, are you connecting this? God himself is fixing our mess. God himself is fixing our problem. God himself is working to undo what we have done by our sin. He is working to set right our wrongs so that we don't have to suffer his wrath. Oh, he loves us. He loves us. In this child, God himself is doing what we could not do for ourselves. In this child, God himself has given us one who will save us from our sins. Do you see your need for him? Do you see your need for him? If you do not, you are a blind fool and I cannot help you. But if you see your need for a Savior, see it here met in the child who was born that night. For he was born to be the Savior of all who will believe on him. A Savior was born. But that's not all the angel says. This child is a Savior who is Christ. Who is Christ. Now Christ is not a last name for Jesus. It's a title. It's a title Christ means Messiah. It literally means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there were three kinds of people who were anointed. If you know your catechisms, you already know the answer. There were three kinds of people who were anointed under the Old Covenant. Prophets, priests, and kings. And of the Messiah, it is said... 
that he will be the great prophet of God. That's in Deuteronomy. That he will be the great priest to God. That's Psalm 110. And he will be the great king of God's people. Psalm 2 and more psalms that I can shake a stick at. He will be the great king, the great priest, the great prophet. And the angel tells us that this child is the anointed one. He is the prophet, priest, and king chosen by God. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's prophet. He's come into the world to proclaim the gospel of God. He's come into the world to proclaim God's truth to mankind. I like this. I believe it's the children's catechism. Why do you need Jesus to be your prophet? Because I am ignorant. I like that. I like that. That's the truth for all of us. Because I am ignorant, I need him to be my prophet. He came into the world to teach God's truth to mankind, to cure us of our ignorance of eternal things. He came to instruct us. He's come to teach us the knowledge of God. He came to teach us how to be reconciled to God. He's come to teach us how to please the God of our salvation. He has come to instruct us in all that we need to know for salvation and godliness. Truly, as Simeon said, a light has shone in a dark world. For God's chosen prophet, Jesus Christ, has been born. And he is God's chosen priest. Oh, this is how he is primarily our Savior. He is God's chosen priest who has come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. God demands atonement to be made for sinners. And without atonement, there is no forgiveness of sins. And without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. Man has sinned, and so a man must suffer for the sins of men. Jesus Christ is both the priest and the sacrifice. He will offer his life for ours. He will suffer the weight of the fierce wrath of Almighty God on our behalf. He will suffer the justice of God in our room instead. He will go to a Roman cross and there make atonement to God for sinners, suffering God's wrath in their place so that divine justice might be served upon him instead of them. As the priest, he will offer the sacrifice that satisfies the holy justice of God so that God might forgive sinners and be reconciled to them. So that God might be the great savior of sinners without compromising his holy hatred of sin. So that God might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the priest. And he is God's chosen king. He was born to bring in God's eternal kingdom. He was born to institute the kingdom of God and reign over it as God's perfect representative. He was born to protect save, govern, and rule over the people of God. He was born to bring in a kingdom that will be much greater than the kingdom of Israel, and indeed it is. He was born to bring in a worldwide kingdom full of not only Jews, but men and women and children from all tribes and tongues and nations. And he came ultimately to rule over the world. Read Isaiah 2. Read Isaiah 9. Read Isaiah 11. Read all the Christmas texts. He came to take over the world, having conquered it one sinner at a time by his glorious grace. He came to usher in peace to the world that will one day be fully achieved at the end of history with his second advent. The child that was born is the Christ, and praise God, 
He has come into the world to be our prophet, priest, and king. This is good news. But that's still not all. The angel says that the child is a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the shocker. This is the point that stuns us all. This is the rest of the things said about him are amazing and astounding. And we bless God for them because we need them. But this one is the greatest. You see, Lord in the original can mean master. And that's often how it's used in Greek literature. But Lord is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as the equivalent of the very name of God. Yahweh in Hebrew becomes kurios in Greek. And in the mouth of an angel, in the mouth of a messenger of God, this can be nothing less than a reference to the divine name. The angel knows the Lord. And here he says that the child born that night is the Lord. This baby is God. He is Yahweh come in the flesh. Stand amazed in the presence of this child. Stand amazed in holy reverence toward this child. Mystery of mysteries and glory of glories. God himself has come to the world to save sinners. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. Be still, O man. God himself has come in human likeness. The Son of God has taken on flesh to save us. I do not have words to convey like the depth of this and how amazing that this is. The Holy One has united a human nature to himself in order to represent disgusting, sinful human beings. The one who is surrounded by endless day, constantly praised by the heavenly host, dwelling in perfection and glory and splendor, instead of it's damning all of us and washing his hands of it, has come down to be born. There's a band that I used to listen to all the time, and I still agree with this line. If I were God, we'd all be dead. But yet here, God condescends. The transcendent God has come low, and he's come low for us. None of us, none of, not even the greatest theologians who have ever lived, none of us fully appreciate the weight of this. God himself has become a man. He has lowered himself lower than low. The eternal one has become time bound. The infinite one has taken on finite flesh. The immutable one has taken on a mutable nature. The, the one who is spirit has taken on flesh. The one in whom we live and move and have our being has become one who has being. He's become one of us. The one who is all satisfying, or rather I, I should have said he, he's become one who is becoming and is no longer pure being because he's taken a human nature to himself. The one who is all satisfying has come to endure want. 
The one from whom all blessings flow has come to endure suffering. The one who is life itself has come to die. God has taken on flesh. The God-man has been born. And he has come to save us. He's come to save us from our sins. He's come to be our prophet, priest, and king. He's come to set things right. He has come for us. Only a man can represent men before God, but only God can save sinners. And so God has become a man in order to save us from our sins. As one theologian said it, God became a man in order to bring men to God. Oh, sinner, sing in your heart. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. A child who is the Savior, who is the Christ, who is the Lord, has been born for us. Praise God. Praise God. But then the angel gives a sign for the shepherds in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You can like almost hear the record scratch. A savior. Born in the city of David. So there's kingly connotations here. Who is the Christ? Who is the Lord? Yeah, go find him in a manger. What is this? The Messiah in a feeding trough? The King of Kings in a feeding trough? The Holy Prophet in a feeding trough? The Savior of sinners in a feeding trough? God in a feeding trough? Why? Why? Why would God not say, look, you know what? It's, it's enough that I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to be the wealthiest, surrounded by nothing but pleasure and comfort all my days. And then I'll offer myself as a sacrifice. No. Right, that, that would have been, been enough. Why, why would the great God, why would this child allow himself to be placed in a feeding trough, surrounded by dirty animals in such poverty and want? Why? Because this is a picture of what he came to do. He came to suffer and make himself as nothing in order to save us from our sins. He lowered himself and became a servant to all, lower than low, in order to do us good and save our souls. The lowliness and scandal of the manger points us to the lowliness and scandal of the cross. The manger points us to the cross where our Lord took on our sin, suffered in our place, and worked salvation on our behalf. Oh, hear with fresh ears the words of the apostle. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing. And he did it for us. He lowered himself in order to die for us. This child, the mighty God, was born to die. And dying and rising to save us from our sins. 
this great God, born in an animal stall, will die on our behalf. Behold your God. This is your God. There are none like him. You've heard me say that for weeks and weeks and weeks. There are none like him. Search everywhere. I, I dare you. I challenge you. Find me one like him. Find me one like him. All the other gods and all the false religions of the world say, do this and I'll save you. Climb the ladder and I'll save you. What does our God say? You can't, so I'm going to do it for you. There is no God like him. And now we come to the only proper response. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. After declaring the good news to the shepherds, after declaring this glorious gospel of God's grace, the heavenly host, a multitude of angels, begins to sing. It's actually interesting. The host, that's an army. An army begins to announce peace. That's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? But heaven now addresses earth. And the angels instruct us by example in what our response should be to this good news. What they do is what we should do. What does it say they did? They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. All glory be to God in the highest heaven. He has done it. He has kept his promise to send a Savior. He has kept his promise to send the Messiah. He himself has come. All of his promises are coming to pass. Salvation is here. Redemption is here. Rescue is here. The king has come to reign. The priest has come to offer himself. The prophet has come to give the knowledge of God. God himself has come to save sinners. All glory be to God in heaven. You know, it was the angels and not men who first praised God at the birth of Christ. It was angels who first understood the glory of it all. This is J.C. Ryle's thought here. Sinless angels who needed no Savior, angels who had not fallen and therefore required no atonement, were the first to praise God for the coming of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, my fellow sinners, how much more should we praise God for the Savior who was born? If we do not at least attempt to match the praise of the angels, then we highly undervalue Christ and have not yet realized just what he has done for us. The angels sang, and shall we be silent? Perish the thought. Sing in your heart and open your mouth in praise. Glory to God in the highest. He has done it. And the angels sang, Peace among those with whom he, God, is pleased. Peace. Peace. What a glorious word in the ear of the sinner. Peace. Not, not generic peace towards one another. No, peace with God. Peace with God through this child who was born. As the apostle says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the angels saying? Peace with God has come in Jesus Christ. And it is received by sinners through trusting in Him alone. 
to save them from their sins. God is announcing a ceasing of hostility. Why? Because the child has been born for you. The hostility is over. The enmity and hostility that was once between God and sinners will be taken away through Jesus for all who trust in him. As the hymn says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is what it's referring to. Amen. The Lord Jesus came to bring peace with God for those who believe. And this peace, again, is for those with whom he is pleased. Literally, this says, people of his good pleasure. Christmas is a lot more Calvinistic than people think it is. People of his good pleasure. And who, who are these people of God's good pleasure? Well, they, they're all whom he is pleased to call to himself. It's simple enough. All whom he is pleased to call to himself. God is saying that he will freely give grace to whom he wills through the child that was born. Peace will come from God to those whom he chooses to be gracious. And it comes through the Lord Jesus. For us this morning, know this. This peace with God is for those who will receive this child by faith. This peace is for those who believe the good news that the angel proclaimed. That Jesus Christ was born to save sinners. This peace is for all of those who believe that this child was born for you. This peace is for those who trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. All who trust in him are those whom God has been pleased to call to himself. And so now I must put a great question to you all, as I did last night at the Christmas Eve sermon, so I say it again. Is this child, this Jesus, your Savior, your Christ, your Lord? Is he really? Is he really? Is he really? Or is he just another baby? Or right, a baby who lived and died a long time ago and has nothing to do with you, who maybe said some good things, right, and, and, and was a pretty, pretty good guy, but can't really do anything for you. You must decide. Who is he? I want to say this. We're not relativists. Your decision will not change the truth. But your eternity hinges upon what you do with this child and what you do with the message that the angel proclaimed. Receive the message, receive Christ by faith and be saved. Or reject the message, reject Christ, and you will remain in your sins under the judgment of God. But I declare to you this morning that he is the Savior. He is the Christ and he is the Lord. And he will save everyone who comes to him in faith, forsaking themselves and trusting only in him to save them. So take him by faith. Do it today. Receive him. Receive your king. Receive the gift of God. Trust in him. He will save you. He will be everything for you. He will be all you need. He will do it. Trust in him alone and receive peace with God. And please know, please know if you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't really know if this is for me. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not really one of those people, right? You see people that go to church. You think that's not, it's not me. 
This message is for everyone. Who was it first declared to? Shepherds. Ordinary, common people. To sinners. This message is for sinners. If you're a sinner, you qualify. That means this message is to each one of us. It's for all. Why? Because all need Jesus. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call upon his name. Trust in him. Trust in him. And receive peace with God through the child who was born. And for those of you who know the Lord and love the Lord and trust the Lord, rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. Sing with the angels. Settle it in your heart to refuse to be outsung. Settle it in your heart. I will not be outpraised by angels who do not benefit from Christ. I have benefited from him and I will outsing them forever. Settle it in your heart now that you will worship him and be glad in him for he has come and he has brought salvation to you. God has done it and we are saved. May God grant each one of us to receive with faith the message of the angel, the eternal gospel of peace. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. What a glorious portion of scripture it was to consider this morning. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. God, I pray that if anyone here does not know Christ, that today, today that they would come to know him, not because of the sentiments of, of it being Christmas Day or any of that stuff, that's nonsense, but Lord, because you've drawn them to yourself, I pray that you would grant them faith. Save your people. And for those of us who you've already saved, God, help us to rejoice in you. To rejoice in what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray it in his name. Amen.